Hey guys, and welcome back to episode 24 of Frontboards and Four Baggers. I'm Eddie with Cornhole Bag Reviews. We got Corbin with Corbin's Cornhole Reviews. Special guest of the week, the man himself, Cornhole Science, ace, around the ACL, the greatest voice in Cornhole, Anthony Ione. How you doing, man? Good, man. Hey, I appreciate that intro, man. That was that was awesome. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I yeah, do good. Thank the, you for having me. Oh, yeah. I didn't even go into the pro player. All the other stuff you're doing now. Commentator, <laughs> pro commentator. I'm like, man, this all is all, all over the cornhole world. But, you know, why don't we get into a little bit of – so, obviously, anybody who doesn't know, maybe they've heard you in the in the YouTubes or on the, around the ACL or in the commentary, but you were an ACL pro. Now you're taking a step back with your kid doing, doing his basketball thing as well as taking a different stance on cornhole. But kind of how did you get into uh, cornhole originally? Uh, so yeah, so, uh, that was kind of a fun story. So in Denver, I'm in out of Denver, Colorado, uh, the nuggets were putting on a cornhole tournament and I hadn't played. I mean, I had, I could probably count on one time the number or one hand, the number of times I'd played cornhole at that point. So I didn't know anything about just putting a bag in a hole. That was about it. But yeah, so we, it was my uncle at the time who ended up being my pro partner eventually, um, was like, Hey, the nuggets are putting on this cornhole tournament. You, you want to go try and see what's going on. I'm like, ah, let's do it. You know, let's go. So ended up playing, um, we, our first round, we played the best players in the state at the time. Um, if anybody knows cornhole and Col- Colorado area, you'll know BJ Torres. He's been a, uh, you know, just a staple in growing the sport, not just one of the best players, but so we played him first round, long story short, he was doing amazing things that I needed to know more about. Um, someone who's technical in my background, you know, I'm like, he's doing that on purpose. That's, that's just not an accent. I need to know how he's doing that. So, um, cool guy. He was like, Hey, just come out. Here's the address every Thursday night showed up. This is probably how a lot of people got started. You show up to your first, you know, blind draw or your first tournament. And you're like, okay, I need more of that. How do I, how do I keep doing this? So, uh, that was back in 2017 was when I first started playing and it has literally been digging a hole since man, I've been getting (laughs) deeper and deeper (laughs) into cornhole since then. I mean, it has been like, you know, gas pedal full down. I mean, everything from, um, you know, obviously initially wanted to get good at the game. So using kind of more of my technical background, I was kind of big into video and breaking stuff down. And why is he doing that? And that's when the ACL started dropping content on ESPN. So now I'm like, all right, I don't have to just watch the guys in my local area. What are these guys doing on TV? So I'm recording them and breaking that down. So that's where it all started. And it's just continued into this deep dive of color of uh, cornhole. Man. Oh, dude, you it's want to call a rabbit so hole. So you see all this. I started playing cornhole six months ago. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. So, you know, yeah. so now I got a podcast, you two. Oh yeah, man. It's a, I'm the same way. Wow. Just like six months in. ago. All in, man. That is awesome. <laughs> got to learn it all. But, uh, yeah, you know, well, that's awesome. So obviously your area has a lot of, you know, commented pros, a lot of, and a lot of players that aren't pros that could be pros are in your area. So, I mean, when you were, out learning, going to your first blind drive, was it a really good area to learn and get competitive quickly? Yeah. So actually mile high cornhole, the one that I mentioned that I showed up to first, they have been the muscle in the entire mountain South conference. Um, so we're, what is it? What are we Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado is the strength in that. And then mile high cornhole is the, the most talented club in all three of those States. So I was fortunate enough to be, you know, getting beat up by the best players in the area. Um, we've got really good players and having, having been a guy now that's been seeing talent all around the nation, Colorado has the level of talent to compete at that level. It's just not as deep. You know, you go to like these East coast places and and you'll have eight people 
that can throw 10 plus PPRs in an entire tournament, mm-hmm. not just two. So we definitely have uh, people that could compete. I, I know we have two guys right now in the state that actually aren't pros that could compete and probably finish in the top 40 or 50. Um, so those are the guys that I want to play constantly because I want to lose. Oh, yeah. You know, for those out there who are who are playing to win, you know, playing maybe down. I don't know what you want to call them, sandbaggers or not. I mean, if you want to get good at this game, you have to get beat and you have to get mm-hmm. beat often. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal was to play the best people all the time and learn something from every loss. So I was able to do that at Mile High Cornell. Dude, the, I, people t- I tell people all the time, like when I started doing my vlogs, where I, so I record all my gameplay and then post them on YouTube. When I had to go back and edit my gameplay, that's when you learn mistakes is when you watch yourself make mistakes mm-hmm. and get your butt like why did i lose 21 0 oh my gosh that 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 yes you know, all these exactly. things that you're like man if i just didn't do that dumb shot i would have scored if i didn't you know it's just so much about learning from getting your butt kicked but well when did you know kind of that you wanted to go pro and, and then when you did kind of want to go pro back then what was the path to go pro back then yeah. versus what it is now no a really good question so for those that might not know if you kind of rewind to when I started playing 17, 18, there wasn't a pro division at the time. So everything was basically what they called advanced, right? So the stuff you might see on ESPN back in 17, 18, there were no pro divisions, uh, but it was right around, I think I want to say it was 18 where they started pro division only for doubles. Um, And that kind of was what got it going. And now you're talking about players being under contract and specific events to pull in, pros and then in 19 it blew up it went from just pro doubles to now you've got singles doubles and then you look at it now and you've got all these different pro events right you got seniors women's women's doubles men you know um open singles all of this stuff so back then you know you're trying to get this pro division built up um so really there was the main way of qualifying back then to really get your first 256 pros were conference standings so if you did any uh, any events, it was it was it goes back a couple of years. I want to say it was the top 16 players from each conference qualified to be a pro. So through my play with Mile High Cornhole, um, I qualified through that conference qualifier. And that was the main way that really dumped everybody into the pro division. That's kind of what got it all started. Um, really, when the list came out, never even thought about going pro. Um, the list came out. I think I was like sixth for something out of the 16 out of all, all uh, out of the entire conference. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That was about as far as it went. You know, I was like, <laughs> there you go. I wasn't planning on doing anything with that. So I really, I get to get props to that same uncle that took me to the, uh, invited me to the nuggets game. He was like, you know, we're doing this right, bro. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? He was like, we're doing this. So fortunately my uncle is, um, he owns a, a trucking company here in, in Colorado called GP express Bronson trucking. And, immediately he's like we got a sponsor he's very successful uh successful at that business so i mean how do you say no you know you got an immediate sponsor it's going to cover all of your travel uh you you know one of your your best boys on the planet is going to be your 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 pro partner so you know i had to run it by the boss at home you know make sure that the wife was (laughs) cool with that and i'm like what do you think about this this is kind of crazy but you know this this game i've been playing what do you think so all parties were kind of thumbs up and uh, that's kind of what got it going, man. It was, it was the, really the, one of the best things that decisions I made besides, you know, family and my career and my education in the past, it's really changed, uh, the past five years of my life. 100%. Oh yeah. And, uh, going off of one thing that you said in there. So I was just listening to your last episode of around the ACL and Trey made a comment of, you know, 
the way we had the 256 pros and then you you guys were talking about that top 100 number and you're talking about how if you're in the top 100 you're you qualify for next year and then trey was talking about well we basically did that as a way to keep cycling people in and out to get that core group of players and he's like now we're kind of getting that core group of players or over 100 players that are all qualified to like re re go in and then maybe having a smaller rookie class how do you see that continuing to evolve do you see it going back to maybe now you keep top 200 and you only got 50 rotating in and out or, or, or and it's all on the world's gauntlet you got earn your way differently like how do you see this evolving past you know where it already has yeah so what i'm seeing and what i'm hearing is is really where it's going to evolve is it's going to be easier to stay and harder to get in is what i'm hearing um so for those that might not know there's a number of ways to qualify so as a pro the idea is is that most of the pro division stays and you're rolling in and off a few players, but if you were the top 100 in singles, you automatically qualify as a pro. Again, if you're top 50 in doubles, you both automatically apply as a pro. And then you can get in through open events. So for those that might not know, there's, what is it? 16 uh, ish open yep. events that happen throughout a season. Um, you show up, you attend, you score your points, you get points based on where you placed. You can do local stuff to earn points and they're different bracketed level of points open is going to give you the fattest amount of points at once regionals conferences <laughs> anyways at the end of the year the top 24 people in that open event will qualify to be a pro then every conference so i think there's 13 ish conferences every conference will hold a tournament that will have one winner so you'll get one entry in from a conference winner uh and a singles division makes it pro and then there's an application process but Ultimately, I think the application process starts to do this, you know, where in the past we would, you know, have like, you know, I think it was, gosh, I want to say it was like close to 60 maybe um, came in through the application. That's going to start shrinking down to something much lower. Yeah. Um, so easier to stay, harder to get in is where the future of it's going. And a crazy comment based on that point system you're talking about. Corbin, I don't know if you saw the post today, but I know Anthony saw it as well, is that Jimmy Humans is two local points away from maxing out every yeah, single category, that. which yep. is just bonkers. That kid's like, gangster. Oh my that god. That kid's gangster. <laughs> just, he is so good. Uh, I've hung out with him a bunch I hung out with him a bunch in Iowa and stuff and, and had had the pleasure of commentating his final game where he hit like nine airmails in a row to win with uh, mm. with Emily Downer and it's just the 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 year that he's having this year is just insane. It just watching him play is just like you know, and then he took down Matt Guy throwing like a ten five or something in the last national. Just, just especially in throwing one of, in my opinion, one of the least hole friendly carpet bags, like the most block oriented carpet bag. It's insane. Just, just going hole for hole with anybody airmailing like nothing is just nutty to me. But little side note, I, but yeah, I saw that today. It was crazy. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> Yeah, you talk about one of the highest IQs in the game. Oh, if you ever nice. have a chance to just rap with uh, humans for five, ten minutes just talking cornhole, that dude has got a brilliant mind uh, on the IQ side. He's, he's a legit dude. I, I'm a big Jimmy Humans fan. We had him on the podcast with him and Cobb, and uh, and and that, that was like half the questions we had was like, was like uh, oh, like how do you view this? And he's like, he was talking about doubles, and he had the most mind-blowing thing. He's like, the, the problem that carpet players have as doubles teams is they both play the block and roll play style. And he's like, you both can't play block and roll all the time because it's too risky. You give up too many big rounds. He's like, so the way that we play is if Cobb's rolls on fire, he goes block roll, I go bag for bag. If Cobb's struggling to roll, I go block airmail, he goes bag for bag. But you need to have one person that's always negating somebody or negating their hot player. And that's the reason that you can have success. And just just the way he's talking about yeah. all this cerebral thinking that you're just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. like and, and the funniest comment that I had from that was, I love that he said, whoever's having an off day, they just make all the bags 
and don't play dirty. I was like, <laughs> yeah. so your off day is you just make every bag. That, that's your off day. It's just, it's just a uh, different level of mind thinking. But yeah, I love talking to Jimmy. Big, big fan. Biggest arms in cornhole too, by the way. He's jacked. Absolutely. Oh, dude, uh, I'm loaded. I'm competing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm competing with him. I'm trying. But uh, transition a little bit into maybe where a ton of our viewers have seen you, which is the uh, the YouTube thing, the cornhole science. You got the cornhole science page on Facebook. A lot of really great information about shot types, cornhole in general. Just really cool place to go and get info but uh corbin why don't you take the section on uh cornell science absolutely man i mean and that's that's where i first saw you anthony was cornhole oh, okay. science videos of course you know it's you google anything about cornhole and you're gonna pop up you know on youtube whatever um so i love the man cave by the way that's just that's awesome the best yeah, room <laughs> i would love to have that here it'd be fantastic just to have my house um where did the entire idea from cornhole science come from yeah um it really came if we go back to that 17, 2017, 18, when I said I was just recording a bunch of videos. So I started yeah. to, I think it was about a year in, I had compiled enough information where I felt comfortable sharing it with other people when they would. So people started to just come to me to ask me, you know, new players would come in and everyone's like, oh, go, t- go talk to Anthony. Like he'll, he'll explain that for you or break it down. So teaching people what you're kind of trying to teach yourself really helps you to, to digest it better. I think, I mean, when you're explaining something, it helps you to organize your thoughts and break it down into a way that not only helps you to understand it better, but other people understand it. So that kind of became a thing in 2018. Um, I just kind of became someone who was working with a lot of people in Colorado on improving their game, you know, whether it was from technique or strategy discussions or whatever. Um, So that happened all through 18. And then it was, 19 when i went into the pro division um i started to do the same thing at the pro level so not only now now i'm now instead of bouncing ideas off with local guys i was able to really bounce ideas off with some of the best players in the game you know um the noah wootens the eric davises you know these guys that do amazing thing the jamie grams the matt guys really just talking through their game to help me kind of build my knowledge and it got to a point where it was like you know what Maybe other people will find value in that. You know, why why keep this? You know, let's share it with everyone so that so that people can so we can kind of all learn this game together. So I just I mean, it wasn't long ago. It was like a year, maybe like a year and four or five months ago um, where I was like, ah, I'm just going to create this Facebook group. You know, <laughs> maybe a couple people will find value. And I couldn't believe the, the you know, the, the the desire to want to, to for more content. So, yeah. I dropped a couple of videos, you know, thinking, ah, it was just for fun, you know, I'll just put it out there and it just blew up. You know, my, the DMs were blowing up, the, the the likes started blowing up. I'm like, wow, okay. All right, so people obviously want this kind of information. So I just kept dropping more and more and uh, really, I would really love to put a lot more content out there, but the reality is, Eddie, as you know, uh, it's, it's, time, in your, it's in your free time that it's yeah. free time from your non-free time. You exactly. know, like you just... So it's, it's, uh, I would love to put more content. Maybe it's something that happens in the future when we have, maybe you have some, some actual funding around it and, you know, a good production value behind it, you know, where you get good cameras, you get good lighting and you actually put forth good training content. Um, if that happens, I'm ready for it, but, uh, it's, it's slow. It's really slow. Like I got to the point right now, especially with all of my other duties with the ACL blowing up. I mean, I'm, you know, barely dropping a video every couple of months and I feel bad, but 
it's all just for love, the love of the game. Oh, yeah. So I, mean, that's I have the to let something go. Oh yeah, that's the reason we do it. And I mean, I I totally agree with you that the 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 starving nature for content is there in Cornwall right now. Like I made a video four months ago of how to throw the bag flat, right? Yes. And that video gets five hundred to six hundred views per day still, every day for the that crazy? forever. And it's just because how many people are joining the game right now? And it's like, oh, I saw this on TV. How do you throw it flat? And it's just like, yep. and and I heard a stat from somebody saying that like like ten thousand people a month are finding competitive cornhole, like either going to their first blind draw ever or finding out about pro bags or like out of the backyard, right? And that's per month. And it's just the game's gonna wow. keep growing and growing and growing. And that's why like you know they, this podcast gets good good drive because people are like i don't know i just want to hear what pros are like i want to hear what people are like what's about cornell it's just becoming this uh larger community and, and and i think a lot of people are like us analytical looking for more uh information things to learn from i mean look at Derek king and now jamie graham doing some coaching programs now yeah and i and that i i don't know yeah. why there isn't coaches already like for players i mean like mid, mid in between after a loss being like hey you're you're leaning forward you're not doing that you know just like little things that's i think that's where we're going to see this go no, oh, and it's it is evolving. I'm working with quite a few pros now at their level. So even the pros are looking for coaching. Oh, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, the pros are looking for how can I take my game to the next level. I mean, and look at the mentals. There's there's players going through psychology and working with oh, yeah. you know with people who understand how to focus and deal with oh, yeah. uh, nerves and stuff like that. And I'm working with some pros on breaking their game down on, you know, what do you see in my stuff? Because they're all wanting that edge. They're all wanting to move up the rank. So it's really cool to see that level uh, at the pro level. Yeah. And when we talk to pros, I would say the, the, uh, we, we've asked the same question to every single pro we've asked for is, is what do you think is the difference between an advanced player and a pro? And almost every single one says either consistency or mental. And that's the only two differences. He's just like, you have to be able to shoot 10 for 12 hours straight. And you have to be able to sit for two hours and come to a board against some of the best players in the world and shoot a 10. And you have to be able to like deal with, you know, a mistake or just not make like mentally just not make mistakes. Like you have to be able to zone in just constantly and just do what you know how to do every time. He's like, he's like, all of us can get to a practice board and make a hundred in a row. You know, it's like, but then yeah. you get, you get on a main stage court and it's just a completely different ball game. But exactly. uh, yeah. And I have adapted bad game, by the way. So if you ever say bad game in the live stream, that's from you as well. But go ahead, Corbin. Sorry, I'm gonna take it. Yeah, no, you're good, man. You're good. Tangents, it happens. Um, so I love the backstory that you kind of just got into it from the get go and then just decided to make something of it, which I like. Um, moving on to your shots, so you know, you you definitely show a ton of different shots, you know, how to play. Here's the roll bag, here's whatever. How long does it actually take you to like perfect that shot before you start recording it? Yeah. So um, if we're talking about producing content, honestly, shots are the easiest part. Uh, if anyone's, if anyone's <laughs> really? done any, yeah, if anyone's, if anyone's done any kind of production where you're editing and overlaying and arranging, mm. oh my gosh, <laughs> dude, yeah. dude, the software side of it, the production side of it is so lengthy. So to put out a solid video and I would say solid is uh, anything longer than five minutes um, anything longer than five minutes, I'm looking at 10 hours at least for a five minute video. Yeah. I put out a, gosh, I put out like a 15, 16 minute video, maybe 20 minute video. That thing took me like 16 hours. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! And I would say 45 minutes of it was on the boards and the rest of it was in the office. Like it was like, 
it is intense to put all that together and kind of make it look good. I mean, it, it, if you if you're okay with putting out just low quality uh, content, it's easy, right? But I don't know. I, I just want to put out the best possible content with, with the equipment I have, right? I don't, I'm not big invested in, um, I do have some lights and, and basic cameras, but I'm doing what I can with, with the money I have. Cause let's face it, zero, I'm, I'm not making any money off of this guys. And yeah. Eddie, you're probably in the same right. boat. This is all just for the love of the game. Mm-hmm. Zero dollars. So yeah. I tell all, people right. all the time, those vlogs that I make are like between 40 minutes to an hour for each one, usually or like lengthwise that the video's out. So people message me, they're like, Hey, Where's the vlogs at? It's been like three weeks. I was like, dude, this it takes me around twenty hours to edit this vlog. <laughs> so like, and and I don't just edit it like the clips. I edit the clips and voice over every single clip for a straight hour to like yes. to tie it all together and then transition. Exactly, like, you know, you I'm know, like, dude. I'm like, this is like three hours of recording at a blind draw for fun and twenty hours of sitting in my room <laughs> after work <laughs> editing. Yeah. So that is awesome. yeah, that's I, I, that's I why I make you that. edit all my stuff, man. Yeah, he sends me his videos to edit. He's like, he's like, hey, I'm working done. on it. Computer's coming this week. We're getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. I swear. Um, so, I mean, like with a rollback, let's say, you know, I've watched yeah. a rollback video. Did you know how to do a prior to your video? Uh, no, actually, the so the rollback came up on us quick. Um, that was one where I realized, hey, I need to shove some content content out quick because people wanted it. I mean, yeah. you know, they still do. Yeah. They still do for we, sure. Yeah. It's still out there. And it, it might've been the first rollback or, or content out for the rollback video. But so I had to kind of learn that shot quickly. That wasn't something that I had developed, uh, you know, years beforehand. So actually at the beginning of that video, um, I had, I reached out to some of the pros because I'm like, Hey, we should get the best in the world to be sharing with the people, you know, not, not just some random guy in his basement, like sharing what he thinks, but you know, what does Tony Smith think? What does Eric Davis think? Um, you know, um, no you know, some of the, some, yeah, Noah Wooten. I hit up all three of those guys, um, Hunter Thorne, you know, Tay Harris in Colorado, who was throwing a really good hit roll back at the same time. So I, those guys were really gracious and offered up all the information. And I tried to just compile each of their kind of point of view. And that's what was presented in the video. So the technique and the idea behind it was all five or six of those, but actually having to throw the roll bag, I had to develop that pretty quick, like in a week or two. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, that's me and, impressive. Yeah. Me and Corbin yeah. talk all the time about, uh, People, people like people are like, oh man, uh, Corbin's got a good roll bag, right? He's got a good roll bag because of his videos. Like, you don't know how many hours I spent outside just throwing roll bags to try to get oh, it yeah. good on camera, man. It's, it's hard for me. Yeah, and as a technician, I look back on that video and my roll bag looks like shit. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I was just people got the idea, yeah. you know. It wasn't. Yeah. It so wasn't about was. me. Yeah, it wasn't about me making a roll bag. It was about the logic or the concept behind how people can do it themselves. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I mean, do you, do you use like the shots that you put in your videos or are you more of a slide block airmail kind of guy? No, hundred percent. I use the shots. And, um, okay. so for me, and really this is something that the pros are all starting to realize too, is you can't use those shots as a crutch. You can't use them. You really no. have to use situational strategy. Absolutely. Um, there's a right time to throw a roll bag. There's a right time to throw an airmail, etc. So um I'm one who will use that roll bag when it's absolutely necessary. Now my roll bag is if you if you look at the top, you know, 20 players in the league in a roll bag, 
they're special. I mean, yeah. what they can do with a roll bag is special. Oh, yeah. um, so just being able to physically get a bag to roll over a bag doesn't make you a good roll bagger. Um, mm-hmm. I am not a good roll bagger. If you look at consistency wise and predictability, um, cause so many times, you know, you'll, you'll think you got a nice roll bag and it's, it's completely rolling away from the hole. These guys are so consistent and, mm-hmm. and spot their spot and where the bag ends up. Ultimately, um, I'm not in that category. So I have to use it situationally. So yep. you're constantly running the, the probability, uh, based on your specific skills. So I use it, I use it situationally. Yeah. I'm right there with he you made too. Me think of Jimmy humans again too, man. In Iowa, I'm talking to him and he's like, I'm like, uh, Cause I talked to him on beforehand and he's like, I'm a 65% am air miller. So uh, the way I look at it is if I've made four, three in a row, I'm going to miss the fourth one. So it changes the way that I think about how I'm going to yeah. throw my air. Mill. And I <laughs> yeah. was like, so then after the finals, I went to him and I was like, so after you made the eighth air mill in a row, what was going through your head? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's I'm like, not shooting the ninth. He goes, he goes, <laughs> probability was low, but I had to make it. <laughs> I was like, right. But it's just funny. You mean like, I'm going through the probabilities. So I'm like, yeah, literally that's what human says too. It's hilarious. That's awesome. So do you have any, um, do you have any tips for new players as far as, you know, bag selection or shot selection, even, I mean, you just said situationally use those shots, which I a hundred percent agree with, you know, it's, I'm not rolling as soon as there's a block blocker in front of me. Right. Um, like for a new player, would you suggest trying to learn roles and stuff like that? Um, so for a new, I guess the first, the first thing I would ask a new player is, is there's two types of players in this game, right? There's, I'm here to have fun mm-hmm. and there's, I'm here to get better and I'm here to be the best player so you really got to separate those people because i would give different advice to those people sure. let's say a guy comes in or a gal comes in and they're like you know what i just want to be competitive i just want to be able to hang this isn't something i'm going to do i would put a fast bag in their hand and you know with with good whole friendliness and they don't need to have a nice flat bag and i would say all right just throw this right yeah Someone who's going to be try trying to be like us who gets deep into this hole of cornhole and you want to be the best you can be I would 100% put a sticky ass bag in their hand as soon as possible. Yep. Go old school. Like make, make them throw a slide, right. For like slide three, four months, you know, <laughs> something that's going to force them to throw a flat bag, something that's going to show sure. the inefficiencies and the imperfections in their bag. You want to see, because someone who's going to, who's going to be a good player at one point wants to see how a bag reacts when it's mm-hmm. loaded or tilted in certain directions. So by throwing a slide right, not only is it going to uh, uh, make you over time get your bag flat, but you're going to see how a bag reacts at certain tilt positions. So that would be my advice number one. If you're one of those people that That's is great. looking to be diehard, I mean, you're going to suck for like three or four months. It's mm-hmm. going to be horrible. Um <laughs> And you're not going to win a lot, but you're going to come out of that three to four months and you're going to put a different bag in your hand or something that maybe is a little bit faster or something that's a little bit more friendly. And you're going to be so much better at the game. So that would be advice for sure. Yep. I, like I love that. I tell people the same thing all the time. Like, how do I throw a flat bag? I'm like, buy carpet. Throw a carpet. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally throw, tell throw, like, throw a pro carpet. advantage. It, <laughs> it will tell you what you're doing wrong immediately. So yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, on bag choice what what's your go-to i mean i see all the bags behind you but if you have like your top two or three bags what are you going to go for 
Yeah, so this is actually kind of fun. I'm in a bit of a transition. So as a student of the game, um, I'm changing things right now for me. So I'm actually committing. So up to this point, I've only thrown slow bags. I was the last guy off of slide rights, I think, in Colorado. <laughs> I refused to let that bag go. In the um, world, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the world. And then um, and then I moved right into Pro Advantage, and I mm-hmm. have thrown Pro Advantage until December 31st of, of last year. So I decided for 2022, if I'm going to be a true student of the game, I need to learn this fast side of the game. Um, okay. What does it mean to be a fast bag player you know what 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 what's happening differently how does a bag react differently so since january 1st i switched to all slides um okay. just because it was a bag i had um i've seen a lot of success with you know jay rubin and uh jamie graham and some of these guys yeah. in the past i didn't want a patch on my hand yeah. um I, I didn't want that at all uh so i i've been throwing all and let me tell you it is a completely different game oh, yeah. <laughs> have, you <laughs> tried, uh, uh, have you tried the 2.0s uh, I've just a couple down and backs. They're Nothing crazy. I've committed really to. good. If, if they're pretty okay. solid, here's my thing with the 2.0s, right? Cause a lot of people throw surefires, typhoons, all, all those mocks, right? The 2.0s are the only ones that use all slide game changer bead fill, right? So if okay. you're an all slide guy and you're comfortable with that really beady bag, a lot of people don't like the way those beads feel. If you like those beads and you're like, oh, all sides are a little too fast, that 2.0 just like slots in like cake and it's the same fast side. So it's the same feeling on the thumb. It is like the easiest transition if the boards are too. Okay. I've tried that. Like I got Typhoon somewhere on the wall. I've tried those, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, interesting on the 2.0. Yeah. And I found the 2.0 is more hole friendly than the rest because of that bead. It's the least hand comfiness because it's so beady, but if you're used to all slides, it is hole friendly as heck for a, for a five speed bag. Oh, good to know. Good to know. I'm gonna have to mess with a little bit, but yeah, man, it is. It's amazing. Uh, so (laughs) The coolest thing is, is you have really high PPRs, you know, I've never been, <laughs> yeah. I have never been a high P I have never even given a shit about PPRs. You know, yeah, it was yeah. like, I am just trying to do my game. And I, as long as I'm scoring, I don't care if it's yep. an eight, seven or a, you know, a 10, 12, I don't care. DPR. Yeah. All about yeah. DPR, man. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. That's been kind of fun is, is throwing, like having a lot of personal bests in tournaments on the stat sure. side. Sure. Um, and uh, I'm winning. Uh, I, I won with carpet. I'm winning with this. But the most important part is I'm learning, man. It is. It, I think I'm going to drop a video on the difference between the two because there, there's a lot of cool stuff I think we can share with people. Yeah, that's man. awesome. I think the biggest transition between a slow bag and a fast bag, once you start throwing a fast bag all the time, is like the amount of get around shots you can do without thinking you could do them. Like like when a yeah. bag's just in the way, you could just throw it near the bag and it'll just go around the bag. That you're like, oh man, I. It, with carpet, you're thinking airmail, you're thinking roll, you're thinking block behind. You don't even think that's an option, you know, to slide around like that. So it's just so a the way I'm, different shot. Yeah. So the way I'm starting to describe it in content, whether it's broadcasting or in cornhole science videos, is I'm going to start breaking it up into a content sh- contact shot and a non-contact shot. So with Pro Advantage, okay. all those sticky bags, you can get around bags with non-contact. You're either cutting around, you're rolling over. Mm-hmm. What I'm finding with these fast bags is you can get around with con- contact. And and again, I'm, I only have one data point, which is all slides, because um, that's really what I'm working is. But I can attack a blocker slightly off center and the, on the slick side of that. And just because it probably has something to do with the, the friction that's going on, its yep. ability to be whole, whole friendly means it can collapse on itself a little bit easier. It will nope. just work its way on a contact shot. It'll work its way around a blocker. And it doesn't need to hit a whole center. 
Mm-mm. like a pro advantage. Just has to catch a hole, and then yep. you could work that hooking motion where you kind of you know toilet bowl in there. It's it's a different game, man. It is definitely a different Dude, game. this last weekend at a tournament I was playing. I was playing against a guy throwing series vipers. He throws a fast side series viper, and it was a moment that I wish I had on camera because you'd have to see it to believe it. It had. I bet you two beads of the corner on the side of the hole and over a 40 second time span with no bags hitting the board, it moved all the way back into the hole and went in. And our whole team was like, that is, the mo- is- it was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, yeah, th- that's no other bag would do that. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's ridiculous. But, yeah. but, it, but it's, there's a reason why I'll, I would say what 75% of the top pros throw fast bags. Cause it's just, it's easier over the course of a whole day to make more bags in the hole. It is easier. You have to work to throw a slow bag. It is work. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's funner. Uh, to me, it's oh, yeah. funner. Oh, yeah. it's, it's way more fun. fun. I agree. <laughs> like I, I, the reason I play like the surefire types is because I could throw blocks and make it dirty, but they're not. They're more hole friendly than carpet. It's kind of like the same thing as carpet, but you can do some of those shots once in a while if you need to. But yeah. Uh, the fast bag lifestyle, man. There's nothing. Me and Corbin joke about this all the time. If you see a 75 year old dude walk up to the board with Gen One game changers, you're screwed. You're, you're, you're done. You're, you're screwed. You're done. <laughs> like he's going around every bag you got. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter what happens. Uh, but that's actually a good transition to the emergence of new shots because obviously the ACL. I mean, the I would say the cut bag, the roll bag, maybe now the penguin. Which if anybody hasn't seen the penguin yet, people are figuring out how to bounce one of their bags behind a bag over another bag it's the most ridiculous thing but with all these new shots coming into play how do you think it's changed the game and how do you think it'll the game will continue to evolve is it all just everybody's got to learn everything now like do you think the old guards falling behind you know how is the game changing yeah so i i guess i'll approach it with you, you don't need those shots to win um matt guy's got two shots he you know, he'll run bags and he's got an airmail and he is the best in the world with two shots. So you do not need all those. Now there are some situations where Matt guy is in where he can't do either one of those. He can't airmail uh, and he can't uh, run a bag. And I think those are some situations where he could, and his stats are so far off the charts. It's not like he needs more help than he does, but if he did have a couple more shots in his bag, in his back pocket that he would, even if he just used him a couple times a tournament, but maybe he's kind of squeezing a couple more points out of that. It could help his game, but you don't need it. Um, and the, the problem or the, the key with all of these shots is if you're not really, really good at them, they're going to hurt you. Yes. You have to have those shots. You, there's a lot of, there's a, with, with slide shots, you know, you could, you can err a little off your line. You could be a little deep. You could be a little shallow and still find the hole on these complex shots. If, if you're not on point, I mean, the, you're, um, I, I don't know what word I'm trying to look for. You're a statistician, you know, whatever word I'm looking for, but yeah, your, your percentage chance is going to go down if you throw these difficult shots. I mean, just over time, like, like, it, like if you shot nothing but airmails the whole term, you're not going right, to score right. as high as if you slide, you know I mean? You know what I'm thinking is like defects, defect, you know, like a linear chart defects per million oh, or sure. whatever. Anyways, you, your, your defects or your, those few times where you're off really hurt you. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> I don't know. It's, it's really tough. Like, I mean, if you look at a Tony Smith right now, who is one of the, in my opinion, top two, three in the planet at the dirty game. He's really struggling right now. Mm. 
uh, in the league. Eric Davis isn't top 10 anymore. You know, you look at some of these players, Cody Henderson, who doesn't throw as fancy and flashy shots, but he plays a dirty style game. He's 76th in the league, you know? So it's like, you're right. You're kind of looking at all of these players. Now we're seeing a lot of success with these, like, I don't know what we can call them, but like hybrid bags or kind of these between bags, whether Mm -hmm. it's a 2.0 or a surefire. I mean, if you look at Alex Rawls and maybe Trey Birchfield, you know, or some of these kind of middle speeded bags, we're seeing a lot of success with those because you could still do a lot of those shots that we're talking about. Um, You know, it might not cut as hard or it might not roll over a stack of three, but you're still able to pull off some of these shots. We're seeing some success with those. So mm, I think yeah. if, if I were going to say, where's the game going to evolve, it's going to evolve more to the, the hybrid bag. I think we might see a lot of people going with that tweener. Yeah, and I think we're already starting to see a lot of that too. I mean, you see the, the sure shot boys were throwing the locos, but they're transitioning to the strikers, which is another sure shot or surefire mock. You got the surefire guys. You got the all side 2.0s. You got Ryan Windsor's even throwing typhoons and he'll roll typhoons, you know, cause he's just, I was talking to him about it. He's like, I love my platinums, but the typhoons just fall in the hole easier. It's just, it's just yeah. easier over the course of a whole day. And I think that middling ground is kind of where, unless you're a pure Matthew Cree killer, I only throw Vikings and I throw the stickiest Vikings that exist and bounce every single bag up the board a lot of them are transitioning to that middle the middle bag so i could i could totally agree with that um do you think you know because they kind of accomplish I, I hear the saying a lot a roll bag is safer than an airmail because if you miss it's on the board but then trey made a good point of but if you notice if they miss it's almost never going to be collectible it's always missing off to the side a little bit or maybe over the back yes it's still on the board but it's still kind of out of play or maybe given a bumper do you think a good roll bag is a replacement at all for a good airmail? Um, it, it, see, this one really depends on the scenario and, and what, what you're faced with. Um, let's say you have a, let's say you're, you're on your first bag. Guy throws a first bag block and you've got, you know, your first shot in your hand. I don't mind a roll bag in that situation over an airmail just because there's six more bags coming behind it. So if you end up in a stack, or if you end up on the other side of the of the of the uh, bag in a block, or if you end up like you said in a non-collectible position off to the hole, there's six more bags ripping behind you where you could collect. But when you get later in the round, like definitely on last bag or the last few bags in the round, I kind of favor an airmail more in that situation. Uh, you're going to have more drag opportunities. Um, at that point, it might be kind of muddy, and you're sacrificing one point off. You know, if you miss an airmail, you're just missing one point instead of boarding it. So I think it's really scenario based. Um, it really comes down to percentage. I mean, if you're not a Tony Smith, Eric Davis, you know, these guys who can roll at Jimmy, you said Jimmy Human said he's a 65% roll air, or uh, airmailer. If you're not rolling at that level of percentage, then yeah, stay with your airmail, dude. Yeah. Like don't roll if you're not at that level. Um, do you think these shots have bred a more aggressive game? And what I mean by more aggressive is maybe more risk taking of a game rather than, you know, or do you think there's some players that maybe are struggling because they're not doing the smart thing or pushing through when they should or blocking behind when they should. And they're always going for these high risk shots. Yeah, I think we're at the point where, and I think that's going to make a turn, but I think it's exciting, right? The rollback comes out, the penguin comes out. I've got these cuts. It's exciting. You want to use them in play. So it's really hurting people, but I think it's going to kind of pull back. People are going to realize like, Hey, I need to use that at the right time and be less risky all the time. So <clears throat> I think right now we're at a peak of where everyone's trying to do all these fancy shots and it's costume games. I think that kind of pulls back and then you see more situational shooting. 
Okay. And then you got people like Cree Killer that just roll every single bag and win the national. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, so Cree Killer is a little bit different. What's cool about Cree Killer is I wouldn't even call it a roll bag. So I started calling this a lift bag like um, three or four months ago. But what he's able to do is – so he's a right-handed player. If I were to put a block, just say this is a block. As a right-hander, he's going to kind of throw this tilt – with a little back load. So it's almost like a combination of tilt and roll position. And what it does is when the bag hits, it smacks just down the left side and it just lifts up and he kind of cruises over the block like this. It never actually goes into a roll or a momentum roll and it never really pushes through the bag. It just lifts that left side and he's able to run, run over bags almost like a bike. In, in car racing, when, when you come around a corner and you're going too fast and you get up on two wheels, I think they yeah. call that bicycling. He's almost bicycling a bag. So it just kind of comes up like this and he comes over the over the block like that. Mm-hmm. And he's finding a, what's nice with that is it has a, a straight line to the hole. You know, sometimes when you're rolling, you kind of roll right or you roll left. You know, it's harder to control which direction it's going to roll. But he's got real consistent line to the hole just by lifting that corner. So sure. it's, um, I think that's why he's having a lot of success with that. Yeah. Well, he definitely mm-hmm. had success in the last national. That's for sure. <laughs> Winning yeah. the whole thing really. And, and I, we just had him on the podcast last week. And, and the, the thing that blew my mind the most was how calm he looked on TV. Like he just looked like he just was throwing bags. He's just like, dude, whatever. <laughs> dude, it is hair. not, it is not just TV. That dude barely breaks like anything in a match. You're like, <laughs> It's almost like he is just straight face. Like he'd be one of the best poker players ever, man. He is yeah. just like no emotion all the time. Yeah. So I, I think he was made, maybe he was feeling it inside nerves, but it never showed, uh, it never showed in the, uh, in the match. And uh, so with the ACL opportunities, one of the coolest opportunities I think is the around the ACL, which if you guys haven't heard of the around the ACL, it's on the ACL digital network. The way, the way that Trey explained it was, you know, they got around the horn and they got all these sports shows for all these other sports, but Cornell didn't have anything of that. So you guys wanted to make something that was kind of like, how do we go in the competitive side and like give a little update every week about what's going on in competitive and, and have a little banter for the sport if the sport's going to grow. So where did kind of the opportunity for you with the ACL and the around the ACL thing come from? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of built up to that. So um, I talked about starting kind of the pro thing in, in, in 19 and then that transition to cornhole science. And then as the content got out there, um, and around that time, we didn't talk about back in 18, um, I started broadcasting, uh, similar to what you see now, we were one of the first clubs. If there's another club out there that beat us, I don't know of them, but it could have happened. One of the first clubs to have dual cameras, the dual camera setup, you know, with the computer and the OBS software and all that stuff. So we, I was one of the, I got our, our club mile high cornhole set up. So I started that content back in 18 and Trey, obviously with being one of the only clubs out there, it quickly got to his queue somehow. But so he saw that out there. And then when I became pro, um, I obviously saw him, uh, in rock Hill at one of the events. And he was like, Hey man, what do you think about getting on ESPN three today? And I was like, what, <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, let's go. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys where it's like, if it sounds fun, I'm going to say, yes, I'm not going to, you know, turn down an opportunity to do something. So, um, that's where it kind of, you know, we evolved into that content. And then I started getting into the USA cornhole. We doing the NBC stuff and some of the TV broadcasts. So it's kind of been building up to this show, I think. Um, and with the whole analytical side, you know, it feeds into a lot of the analysis that goes into the, uh, around the, uh, around the ACL. So 
that's kind of where the opportunity arose. It came from cornhole science feeding into the commentary, and it was just kind of a natural kind of roll right into that show. Yeah, and I definitely think your personality fits in the show really well. Again, talking about the analytics stuff, and that yeah. kind of goes into like what goes into preparing for a show like that. I mean, obviously, you have a lot of stuff in your head, like uh, just seeing, like you you seem to just have a lot of information. Same way I do, thoughts just roll out. But I'm sure, just like me, you you do a little prep. You got your notes set aside, things you want to talk about. Like, what do you go into when you prep for a show like that? A lot of prep. So uh, uh, I hate Trey. This guy freaking has <laughs> all of it. cornhole in his head. Um, actually, it was I think it was. So we're on episode twenty three, twenty four. It was a couple episodes ago. Uh, we were getting ready to go on, and he was like, "I, I don't even have. We've never even talked about it before. It's never been talked about." But he says, "Yeah, I, 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 pre- I, I This is the longest I've ever prepped for a show. I prepped for forty five minutes, and I'm like, I hate you, man. <laughs> so I average." seven to eight or seven to 10 hours of oh, wow. prep going into that. Now, a lot of it is watching, especially when we have tournaments over the weekend, I'd say there's, you know, three hours of watching matches, but I basically write an entire script. So I write a full blown script. It's usually about 10 pages long and it just helps me to organize my thoughts and I'll, I'll read it over and over and I'll practice it and I'll practice it. So then when we get into the show, it's just coming across as clean as possible. Now what that, a lot of that time isn't just writing, it's digging into data. So I want to provide people with accurate stats. You know, PPRs need to be clean, you know, where people are positioned in their ranks, who be, there's a lot of bracket analysis, you know, going, I got to be able to say, Oh, Hey, you know, Creek killer and Tanner Halbert ran into each other at nationals. Number one in bracket, you know, in bracket play that requires, you know, I want to see all that history. So, a lot of it is building up tools where I can go back and reference. So little things like getting a full list of every single championship so that I can go in and quickly filter how many times has Damon Dennis won a singles or a seniors tournament. I want to be able to go in real quick and then get a, a list. He's won five double seniors championships and four and four uh, uh, single seniors. I want to be able to have that data for people. So a lot of it was just mining out a lot of information. Um, wow. And then when the, the data rolls in, like you come off a national, you know, and we go into a show, there's a lot of data to an- analyze. You know, you have the women's doubles, the seniors. I mean, all of these different events, who played who, who shot well, looking at stats. So a lot of work goes into it just because I want to I want to give people. I think we're fortunate on that show because we have access to the data. Yeah. I was just going to say, where do you get all this data? Cause I want this (laughs) stuff. Go on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a unique position to be in. You got to take advantage of it because it's for the viewers, man. I mean, we're basically trying to package up this and give people stuff to, 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 to talk about and also to kind of baseline themselves, you know, like what's it going to take to be a pro, you know, what do I need to be able to do to be a pro? So this is, you know, it's, it's, it's data direct from the master document. So you're getting real, real information. So I want, I want to, I want to give that to people. Speaking of what it's going to be like to be a pro though. I remember a couple episodes ago, you guys were talking about the average PPR last season versus the average PPR this season. It's like a full point higher to be a pro. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was like Nuts. eight, it's like 8.58. And this year it's like 9.7 is the median PPR for a pro. It's just like, like you look at any other, how what, cause when the max is 12 and it goes from 8.6 to 9.7, that's the percentage increase that no other sport sees that big of an improvement in one year. I mean, that's just ridiculous in terms of quality of player. It is ridiculous. And just to kind of give people a data point, if you're someone out there, uh, uh 
we'll just go do a half a PPR. For example, someone who throws a nine PPR versus a 9.5 PPR, two completely different levels of play. It doesn't seem like a lot, but someone who can average a half a point more per round is levels above that player. I mean, it's huge. So to go a point in a year is insane. I mean, what we're seeing at the pro level right now is just, it's just kind of nuts, man. Yeah. And I love that. I think the craziest stat the last week when you guys were talking was that, um, the team's events is that all the 12 captains for the team event that got picked because they were the top 12 ranked players last year, none of them would be captains this season. Isn't that crazy? It's <laughs> like, crazy. That's and, how and, many... is, and that's why it's worth doing all the homework because this is the kind of stuff that pops out when I'm digging through these, these cool little like stats that people can look at or these cool little talking points. So I think it's worth the time to put in because it really gives like a cool picture. Of oh, yeah. No, I, I love watching your show. I, I, I pop it on whenever I think about it and stuff. It's really enjoyable for me. I I, I love all the sports. I grew up watching Sports Center around the horn, all kind of stuff. So it just kind of feeds yeah. into that for me. So one, one thing, though, about that show, which I asked Trey about this, but I asked you too, is it difficult to talk negatively about a player in terms of, I know it's important that you got, you have to like talk about, you know, this person's struggling. Cause it's, it, that's what goes into having a good sports show is you have to have the positives, the negatives, but knowing these people on a personal level, is it difficult to draw that line of like, you know, you got to tell them that they're having a terrible season and you got to say it kind of thing. So no. And the reason is, is at least for me, if I am talking about someone's difficulty, it is not an opinion. It is backed by data. Sure. So if I came out and said, Jimmy Human sucks, and then I didn't have anything to back it up. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's unwarranted. Like that. I deserve to be lashed by Jimmy humans. But if you can come out and say, ah, oh, man, look, look at this trend, you know, where we, you know, he had a, you know, his, his PPR has reduced by this much over this many, whatever is he's, he's Owens, you know, you're providing data to back it up. No. And I think, I think at the pro level, you need to be able to deal with that. Um, I mean, you're a pro, right? So if you talk about only good stuff all the time, it gets boring. You know, you yeah, have to, you have to call and it's how you do it too. I mean, we're not out there to bash anybody. Oh. We're just talking about what's actually happened. So I had to do that recently. You said, uh, Shermerhorn, uh, is out of your area. Didn't you say Corbin? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So yeah, so um, in doubles, I mean, they were one of the uh, uh, one of the few teams that ended up in a tier two uh, at the opens, and yeah. and these were guys that had, then they've even showed it this is before that have the ability to be top twenty, top twenty five mm-hmm. pros. So when they end up in a tier two, um, you got to you got to talk about it uh, because what happened right after we talked about it, they came out to the nationals and finished like fifth. So what's really cool about it, which what I love about talking about a struggle is being able to come back and talk about a success coming off of a struggle. So of course I wanted in that very next episode to give them props on rallying back after a tier two show out in in an open to a top five position at the national. So it's part of it. I mean, you have to be okay with it. And I, I love that you used uh, Jimmy Human sucks as your opinion because they literally have shirts that say Jimmy Human's <laughs> doesn't do. suck. Oh, do they? <laughs> they made shirts yeah. that say Jimmy Human's doesn't suck. <laughs> but uh, where do you want to see this this show go? Like, is there any goals you guys have long term? Is this something you want to continue to grow and get on other platforms? Like, what, what what's kind of the long term goal with the show? Um, I think we're just trying to fill it out right now. I mean, it's the first year, you know. Um, ultimately, I think it's 
it's something you need in the sport, right? It's again, because the ACL is putting out their own podcast, you're getting the best and most accurate information and data out there. I mean, you're going to have, you know, what's coming up that most people don't know about. Like just today on the episode, we talked about international play and we're all, we're about to go to the Netherlands, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's good to have access to what's coming, all the data, you know, and drop that content for people, uh, for people out there. So where's it going to go? Um, we're going to run, we're going to run it all year and see what happens. But I think the feedback from the Cornhole community is people are liking it. Um, we're obviously going to adjust as feedback comes in, you know, do people want interviews? Do people not want interviews? Do you, would you like different segments? So I think we're just kind of learning on the fly, but ultimately the whole goal is to give people accurate and good content and, and maybe stuff that no one else knows yet. Awesome. Well, Corbin, why don't you go a little bit Hello. about, uh, ACL pro stuff. Yeah, let's go into your, your little pro career a little bit here. Um, everyone wants to be pro that plays, right? Well, not everyone, but a lot of people that play, they're like, hey, anyone can be a pro, right? Just keep throwing, get better, whatever. Um, in your experience, what are some things that people don't understand about being pro? What they don't understand? Um, well, I, I would definitely tell people to prepare for uh, the travel part of it. Um, you know, when you when you kind of get involved, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm going to be playing Cornell. But hey, it's a commitment. It's a commitment to get to the tournaments, to compete at the highest level. Um, definitely, people struggling with streams and broadcasts. So you can take someone who just fills the hole up in their basement and then you put them not even on a on not even on like an espn broadcast but just on a, mm-hmm. on a secondary live stream court Woo, that camera adds a <laughs> lot of weight all of a sudden that one pound bag it feels like five pounds right so for people out there i would say on from a struggle standpoint take any opera if someone wants to record a game live on their phone behind you let it happen mm-hmm. um yeah. because it's gonna get you used and that's where my, uh, you know, we have five pros out of Colorado, you know, the Tay Harris the Yeti Irwans, you know, the Gino mm-hmm. Delisas. they've been listening to me commentate behind them for years now. So I think that's helped kind of train them for TV play. Um, so they get in front of it. It's like, ah, I'm used to this. I can hear them talking. I've been hearing Anthony talk for years, like sure. no problem. Um, so travel, got to get used to the live streams, um, the schedule. I mean, it is, it is tough. You are in a lot of events, you know, you got, you're up at 7 a.m. and you're playing cornhole back to back, you know, sometimes two or three brackets. Um, You might be done at eight o'clock at night. So definitely the hustle. I don't know how you would mock that in practice. Obviously telling someone to play for 16 hours is kind of ridiculous, but (laughs) um, maybe you play at different times of day, you know, get up early and you're playing in the morning and then force yourself again to come at late at night, maybe before bed, you know, just to kind of mock what you would see there. But um, yeah, those are probably some good things for, for pros of what they might understand or expect. And I want to comment on that 16 hour day thing. Make sure you eat food. Cause I see a lot of people going to their first big tournament. They like don't eat enough. And by the end of the day, they're just, they can't even throw the bag. Exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, and they uh, the morning comment even because a ton of people you know blind draws and stuff they're always at night right yeah you know a regional a local regional ours usually start around ten a.m. it's not bad but you know down in uh, Louisville I think it was what eight a.m. eight a.m. was mine, it might yeah. I think it was eight a.m. might have been nine but I think it was eight and it was like 
you see people walking in like they're still asleep. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and they're not ready to play. And I'm like, cool. I hope I'm playing him. <laughs> I'm excited. But um, so you made a lot of good points there. Uh, what is the hardest part for you personally? Is it travel? That's yeah, no, I guess, would say but... everything I mentioned is is one of the hardest things for me. Um, you know, one thing I didn't mention that's really hard is it's fun. You are out there and you become... <laughs> Right. You become, you know, close with these people. You're traveling with them. You're you're staying in hotels. You're throwing craps on the same table. You're playing blackjack. You know, you become really close with these people, and you want to hang out and party all night. The <laughs> hardest part for me, yeah. the hardest part for me, is forcing myself to go to bed at the right time. I never did. Uh, I definitely would have been a better pro if I did. Um, that's really hard. Is to is to say, <laughs> am I here for my business? Am I here for my right. career? Or am I here to, to party and have a good time? I'm here so to enjoy myself. Music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like we can that. do a little bit of both, but you know, I, I do get that. Um, and we did touch on this earlier, but I'd kind of like to hit it again. Um, the difference between advanced players and pro players. I mean, is it that mental capacity? Is it just overall consistency? Yeah, definitely. Uh, matured nerves for sure. Um, I like that. Yeah. A, a, a pro and a seasoned pro. Uh, everybody gets nervous, but a seasoned pro knows how to manage those really well. Um, and you can see games go to complete crap oh, yeah. uh, when, when nerves kick in. You know, you get the yips and everything that you've ever practiced and worked at just goes out the window. Um, definitely the head side of the game. I talked about the stream and the broadcast. A, a pro becomes comfortable. Um, so right now at the uh, at the pro events, to give you an example, we have four secondary courts going all the time. So there is a, there is a really high likely chance some point during that weekend, you are going to cycle through a stream court. So you don't want that to happen. You know, Oh, I just won three in a row. I win my next game. I'm in the, uh, I'm on the Hill match or whatever. Like you don't want to blow it on the stream at that point. So that's a big one uh, between a pro and advanced player. Advanced players jump in. They've never felt that, that, camera level with the lights and the court and the commentators. I mean, there's a lot of eyes on you and a lot of attention. So that would be mm. a big one. And, and just diversity in the elite level of play. Um, you know, advanced players, I think we talked about kind of those fancy shots, you know, it's fun. They want to do all these fancy things, but I think these seasoned pros are starting to realize situational awareness and when I should be using these, these types of throws. So, I see that with a with a seasoned pro going up against a uh, an advanced player, advanced player trying a bunch of stuff they probably shouldn't, and decision making really good for a for a pro level. Well, and I think it, yeah. in the pro level too, like going into the the sh- picking, not maybe not the smartest shots at the pro level, you rarely see a pro give up a six. They might give up a four. It's kind of like bad. They will give up a six, but mostly a four, mostly twos, ones, maybe a three. If you play against a pro or at the pro, if you give away a six, it's really difficult to get six points back. Like that's like three rounds of you basically incrementally getting it back. So I think that's why, you know, like you said, we're going to see it waning back because it's just the damage of one or two errant bags in a round. It just takes so many good bags to get back. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I, really should give props to the advanced level of play. There are, there are some really good players out there that aren't pros and yeah. we will eventually see them cycling into the pro division. Pro division is just going to get stronger and stronger. So I wouldn't take anything away from the advanced players as far as a talent perspective, because we see it all the time. We, we go to an open and we see 
who's that guy? Who's that guy playing Matt Guy in the finals? You know, yeah. like so you got people coming out of nowhere. There's clearly a lot of talent at the advanced level, but um, we'll eventually see those guys in the league, I'm sure. Yeah. And with those advanced guys, I mean, do you see any common mistakes that they're making? Or is it mostly just decision making, like you're saying, you know, being way too aggressive when they don't need to be and trying to make the shots? Yeah, I, I wouldn't see I, I wouldn't say there's anything common across the board. because okay. um, there really are a bunch of talented uh players. Um I mean, really just dealing with nerves in a head game, I think, is yeah. the biggest difference between yep. an advanced level and a pro. Well, and I think you made a good point is as the time goes on, basically, in some areas, advanced level is a pro tournament. They're just not all, they just don't all have the ACL pro tag on them, but they're all, you know, or or they we have some local guys that could be pros. They just have no desire to even try try to be pros. They just want to do local tournaments. And right. But I mean, all over the country, as this game gets bigger, there's going to be pro level players everywhere. Yeah, and I think I like the way Richards, Mark Richards said it. He said, uh, play the game, not the name. So when you get to the pro level, you know, you might have been messing around with Matt Guy in between tournaments, playing some a couple games or, you know, whatever. So you become comfortable. You know, that name isn't so scary anymore. An advanced player comes in, he st- stands up next to, you know, Jamie Graham for the first time. It's going to get in his head. But, you know, the pros there, I, I played Jamie Graham in the team's event. I played him in doubles. You know, I ran into him in a blind draw, you know, so that name starts to have less of effect on you uh, mentally. Sure. So I think that's an edge for the pros is just being exposed to these these names constantly. I like that. Um, I do like that. You went into commentary a little bit. You did the commentary, you know, um, you started out in your Colorado and, and now you've been dabbling a little bit more with the ACL stuff, the USAC stuff. Uh, what do you think makes up interesting commentary versus boring commentary? Like if you hop into a stream, what makes you want to stay and listen and what makes you want to pop off? Uh, other than obviously just good cornhole, but commentary goes into a lot of the enjoyment experience and because cornhole's inherently not the most entertaining game going on if everyone's just four-bagging all the time. So what do you yeah, think goes no into that interesting commentary? So three different levels of commentary, in my opinion. So where I started was, and where a lot of us are, behind a phone. Right. You're a solo commentary guy behind behind a board and you're just rattling off rapid fire commentary. Next next level is um, working with another person. So it's a team. You know, you got a two man crew on a stream that has like a Facebook attached to it. So you actually get feedback from your viewers all the way to NBC and ESPN, where now you're in the booth and you have your co-commentator. You get no feedback from the audience. So you're kind of in your own zone. Um, so really with those, I mean, entertainment value for the people. And I think, you know, this is where Wally does a really good job of, of what he does is he does a really good job of including that, that Facebook audience, you know, really good job of recognizing that they're there, you know, answering questions and stuff that are coming through the post, but at the same time, managing color of the game. Um, so I think that would be, you know, for that second level, I think that's a big piece of keeping people's interest and what makes it fun is interacting uh, with the remote viewers, if you will. Um, my style is um, obviously very technical. Uh, it's very, if you listen to any of my solo behind the board stuff, it's very rapid fire and it's, it's, it doesn't cater to the common viewer. And that's sure. what's really hard at the NBC and the ESPN level is you have to speak to the common viewer. So you're going to get bored, but you know, Jamie at home 
watching it from her couch needs to understand what is cancellation scoring and how many points do I get going in the hole? So it's really tough to cater to everybody. You might get bored watching an ESPN because it's so dummy down, but then those people would lose interest on uh, something really technical behind a phone. So it's hard to cater to everybody. It really depends on what level of broadcasting you're talking about. And so then going into the two different stages, what do you think is the biggest differences and maybe, maybe how do you learn to, or biggest difference is being by yourself and then having a team. Like, what do you have to learn when you get that other person in the booth to not talk over each other? Like, what do you think goes into that? Yeah. So, um, and as we see more people cycle onto Wally's, um, uh, commentary yourself, I've also all this, uh, secondary courts that we're doing at the ACL, you see it. It's really hard. Uh, especially like someone like tornado who's been commentating a ton out of the, uh, out of the Northeast, right? All of it's been solo. You put him in a booth with someone else and I was in the same position. You're really holding back, talking over somebody. So a lot of it's a relationship built. So if you look at uh, Trey Ryder and Jeff McGarrett, they've been commentating for so long that they, they already know each other's cues. Like they can feel that pause and when someone should kind of jump in to, to fill up that empty space. Um, I've done three NBCs with, uh, with Jeff McGarrett. So I think we're getting better, but that takes really like a team effort of like working with someone mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's hard to, to really just pick up on their cues of, of when you stop talking and when you start talking, cause you obviously don't want to run over each other. It's, it's tough. I would say the greatest part about the two man though, at least, you know, when I was doing the Wally in Iowa, because I, I do the solo stuff on Wednesday nights, I, I run some, I run a event and stream it every single Wednesday for everyone to get on it and stuff. And I'm doing it solo when I was doing it with two man. It's nice. Cause you can kind of bounce stuff off each other and like have more fun where it's like more entertaining to listen to where I don't just have to talk about gameplay. I could talk about, you know, this person did this and I was talking to this person earlier. They said this, and then you laugh like stuff like that, where you have that relationship. So I think the two man is just way more interesting to listen to personally, but it is. It is. And when I, when I started commentary, I was like, I want to speak to the diehard porno players. Those are the guys I, I want to talk to. So it was very like, very technical. It was 100% about the game. So that's probably uh you know, the demographic is really small, right? So yeah, you need, I, I need to figure out and I have figured out how to speak to a larger audience so that you're, you're capturing as much inter- entertainment as possible, but it's tough because you got everyone from, I just, I'm watching cornhole for the first time to, I want to hear about, you know, was that a throwing hand side left to right slice collect off the left side? Like someone <laughs> yeah. wants that level yeah. of detail, you know, so it's, right. it's tough to cater to everybody. Well, we talked a little bit where your ACL opportunities came from, you know, talking to Trey and just him seeing your stream beforehand. But like, do you are you starting to transition to this point? Are you enjoying the content commentary side more than the playing side? You know, I know in the last episode you were like, man, I just can't get on the boards as much. Been so busy. But like, has that switch happened yet? Like, do you, do you really enjoy doing it more than playing? Or do you think playing still is, is, you know, you still love that more? Man, I love playing. Yeah, I love <laughs> playing. Um, but I love this side of it too. It's really tough. It's uh, I am missing playing as much, but I'm uh, as the same time, I'm really enjoying speaking about what I'm seeing on the boards and just trying to share that information with, with people. So I kind of go back and forth when I get into tournament, I'm, I love throwing better when I'm in the booth. I'm like, Oh, I love this better. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know where I want. I don't know what I like better at this point. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I'm enjoying, I am enjoying the commentary hundred percent for sure. You got any goals for uh, commentary in the future? Anything, anywhere you want to take this? Or are you just kind of coming as it going with as it comes or, um, 
man, international is going to start opening up. That'll be pretty interesting. So that'll be kind of a whole new feel. I mean, what does international play look like? You know, what, what, what does someone in Netherlands look like from a, from a bagger standpoint? Um, so developing that side of the commentary would be really nice, uh, really fun, I think. Um, plus you're kind of, I, I imagine it'll be a big gap in talent level. You know, you've got this game that was grown homegrown in, in the U S and now we're going over and playing another country. So how do you develop that? So I think developing that as a commentator would be a good next step. Um, we kind of talked about developing how to speak to someone at, because the more I end up on TV, you really have to speak to the new play. Cause that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to grow this game. You know, that's how, that's what's going to keep us all doing this. So developing how to speak to the common person at home, I think is, is a good goal for me moving forward uh, to kind of fine tuning that for sure. But don't lose your analytical side because I love that too. I know. I know. So that's, where, <laughs> that's where I need uh, – that's where it's cool to have – the and Jeff McGarriger does a really good job at that because he does play kind of the common – he thinks like the common person. So he'll tee you up for a question. Sure. You know, so that's really good to to get teed up and be able to break that down for, for people – of all levels. Hey, but when you go to other countries, imagine how much more data mining room you got now. You're going to have so many more stats to go through. It's like, who oh, is this man. guy? Plus, how many names are you going to mispronounce, man? Holy mackerel. Oh, my gosh. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Netherlands, man. Good luck with those last names. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, but... Uh, last kind of section we'll go into uh, as the coronal science guy, obviously we got, you know, hopefully practice, you know, going into learning different kinds of shots and everything. Corbin, why don't you take the practice? You're more of the practice guy. Yeah, I do love my practice. Um, what is the coronal science approved practice routine? Do you have one? Ooh, that's tough. So I have been, I have been telling myself I need to develop something, something that people can follow. And and I think just more of a guide to get people, you know, we could all practice different ways and get to the same place. Um, but I think there's some things that are fundamentally important, no matter what your practice style is. Um, finding a dedicated spot, I think, is important. Um, you know, there's so many people struggling to, like you were saying, you wish you had a man cave in your basement. I mean, yeah. finding a place, and you see it. I mean, even at the pro level, like an Eric Anderson, I mean, he's like, in a, he's got like a spot at Dave and Buster's or something. And then now he's in a... You know, you see Jay Rubin throwing down the hallway of his of his uh, house or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. having a dedicated spot is really important. Um, locking that up, even if that means you're you're stopping somewhere on the way home from work and your boards are constantly, you know, it's a little bit more work to pull them out. But finding a dedicated spot is going to be a big eliminating distractions. I can't imagine how that you practice with uh, with a little one running around all the time. I have the same thing. Uh, my little man cave here with the court also has a basketball court going across it. So a little mini set. So I've got a a 12 year old who's constantly playing basketball while I'm practicing, but eliminating distraction. Cause I think focus practice is so important. And what we all do, what we want to do is we just want to go out there and start throwing bags. And we're not really thinking about what we're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. picking a time regiment. I mean, is really important to get on a routine. It's almost like working out, right? I mean, you know, sometimes working out sucks, but if you force yourself on a specific routine at a specific time, you know, it's going to kind of get you into a groove because you got to practice if you want to take this game to the next level. Um, I think having a clear goal for each session is important. You know, what am I going to be working on today? Am I, am I doing shot work? Am I doing box movement? You know, am I doing gameplay stuff? Um, But if we were going to kind of break down a routine, I think it's important to not just work on your, um, you know, your slide shot, 
you know, I mean, obviously you got to work other things, um, dedicating time to airmails. And I think it's so important to track your own stats. I know yes. it sucks and you're probably going to have a paper and a pen there, or maybe you videotape it and you go back and you mark them all off there that way in like a fast forward style thing. But you have to know where you are at. You have to baseline your skill because what we find with practice is motivation is the hardest thing. You get bored. So if you start establish, establishing some level of skill and you can see little improvements, it's going to motivate you to want to go do more. You know, So if yeah. you can track your airmail percentage, your PPR, your bags in a row, you know, if it's a scenario thing, like I beat ghost five, I beat ghost seven, I beat ghost 10. Now I'm going to try and beat ghost 10 and a half. Like some iterative approach to give you something to work towards is going to keep you, keep you motivated in practice, um, which I think is really important. What do you guys think? What do you guys do for practice? Anything? I, I, I lay down a bag and practice pushing and then replacing and pushing. I, I, cause for me, for me, my slot, I can, I can airmail. Airmail is my shot. I could just shoot airmails all day. So like, I just work on pushes cause I'm like, as long as I can keep the board clean or make it dirty and airmail and clean up the end of the round, that's what I practice the most, but practicing situational shots. I don't really slide in too much. I usually just try to constantly lay blocks. I, I go out there with like fast side vipers and try to lay blocks with vipers because if I can lay a fast side viper block, then I know that I can stay up the middle regardless of how fast or slow the boards are, that kind of stuff. What I find helpful is practicing with eight bags minimum. And yeah. the yep. reason being is it um, it does present situational stuff because eventually you're going to get cluster or the hole's going to fill up and then you're going to get a kind of a bag in the way. And then you can start playing off of what's presented to you. Because um, if you don't have someone... You know, I, I've tried it with my 12 year old. I'm like, all right, bud, for the next hour, you're going to just lay a sit this, sit this blocker where I tell you to for the next hour. You know, do you might not yeah. have like a caddy, you know, someone who just like puts a blocker where you want it. So I'll play with 12 bags sometimes. Um, and if my hole fills up, I go into an airmail thing to because yep. if you can hit enough airmails, I'll kind of clear out the clear yeah. out the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, 12 bags is really good because it will present you with blocks and pushes. Um, and then you start to pile up and then you start working your really hard power slides, you know, trying to clear stuff out, which could play into big pushes and penguins and things like that. But, um, yeah, eight to 12 bags is a good way to kind of force situational stuff. One thing you said, yeah. uh, you said box movement and I, I, I was going to ask this earlier, but I totally forgot. That piques I, my interest I, too. Yeah, so I have a <laughs> lot of people locally and a lot of people that I see play and even at advanced level that refuse to step out. Like they just do yep. not step out regardless of if it would make the push easier. They have a lane, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Cause I step out all the time and I'm like, dude, and I taught my partner. I'm like, just step out and throw fast side. You literally have bumpers everywhere. It's like, wh what do you think people are losing? Why is stepping around the box so important? Oh man. I mean, if you get into angles and stuff like that, it's so important. But one of the big things about stepping out and a lot of it's not just getting in the hole. So a lot of it is what are you going to do with an opponent's block? Sometimes moving an opponent's block is more important than getting in the hole. Correct. So for example, if I'm, if my opponent is outside arm and they lay down a perfect center block, I want to step out, not just to get a better angle on the hole, but I my goal is to contact that center block and move it his lane side ever so slightly, giving me the lane and taking away his lane all in one yep. shot. Because for the next three bags, I've just given myself a lane and jacked up his lane. So 
stepping out is really important, uh, really important. And at the elite level, you see it all the time. I mean, Matt Guy, I think, is one of the best step out guys, and mm-hmm. he doesn't even get any credit for that. But he is really good at stepping out when he needs to because the guy is going to be just shooting the whole shot, whether it's a three-foot step out or against the hole. His line is so good and so on. He just needs that angle. But, yeah, you, you have to develop your your step out. But mm-hmm. there are people like a Sarah Cassidy that I rarely see step out, and she has a lot yep. of success. Yeah, uh, Cheyenne Renner will just – go through bags. She'll go through them. She won't mess too much around with a step out. I'm just going to go through it, hmm. uh, which yep. is a strategy. Yeah. And I tell people, I mean, at least for the, at least for practice routine for the common player, or anybody listening to this, like at least get comfortable stepping out. Cause when you step out, you do shrink your board. Like you have less board to aim at, but I see at blind draws or other kind of events where I'm just like, people are so uncomfortable to step out. It's something you need to just be used to and comfortable doing because the shots will come our out where it's like you just have a better lane if you step out or if you have a better shot if you step out so uh i i i've been wanting to address that for a bunch of podcasts but i'm like i see yeah. people do that and i'm like it's something you need to be practicing because it's so important to, to be able to do if you have to it's going to well, be huge for your collects yeah so huge for your collects both sides outside arm and inside arm um, something i see a lot is people it's like all or nothing they think that they have to step out all the way or they're going to be hugging the board Bingo, use use the entire three feet of that box yes. i mean it's sometimes you know they lay like you're saying like blocker but it's a little bit their lane side and all i have to do is just whoop, you know maybe a six inch step out but that changes so much on how i can attack that bag bully them out of the way and take over that lane so you don't have to go your three full three feet and then totally whiff because you have less board to deal with you know it's it's utilizing that entire box yeah, man, you nailed it. And if you look on uh, Cornhole Science, there's a video, um, I think it's under the Tips and Tricks series, but it, I ran the math on how much board you lose when you do a full I remember box that. step out. Yeah. You lose a big chunk of that corner. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? You have to fire the bag deeper and higher because so many times you see guys catching the side of that that board yep. and they're just kind of coming off the side. Mm-hmm. So good point. A one-foot step out might be all you need. Yeah. Yep. Um. Do you ever feel like there's a way you could practice? Is there a way you could put yourself under pressure when you practice, or is it just getting out and playing tournament reps? Like, is there anything you do to like try to simulate some of that pressure? The only way I can simulate pressure is we kind of going back to what we we're talking about stat tracking, um, keeping track of some stat, whether it's keeping track of a score by playing like Ghost 10 will add some pressure or something. Yeah. Yep, doing a deck, a deck around or a deck holio, some way to force you to go, damn, I got to throw you know, a 10, 12 to beat my high, uh, mm-hmm. deck around, um, playing somebody is always huge, but I think in a practice scenario, it's playing someone with practice in mind, not necessarily I'm playing someone, uh, to win, you know, like you're, you're intentionally throwing certain shots or pra- or working together on a specific practice itinerary, uh, I think is really important, uh, having that in mind. Cause you're just going to play into their gameplay and you're not going to really, really diversify what you're trying to do. Um, yeah, that's the only way. I mean, if you're doing like an airmail Elmer practice, somehow to count or somehow to keep track of percentage, some way to force yourself to beat something, I think is the only way to, to install pressure. And then, uh, Corbin had this recently. I had this a little while ago, but, uh, what's the best way in your opinion to get out of a slump? whether it's, you know, practice or whatever, like how have you found whether you're getting the yips, you got mental stuff, you got your throws not getting flat anymore, all of a sudden you're losing something. Is it going back to the basics? Like how have you found to just like 
how do you wipe the slate clean or get back into your rhythm? Yeah. So for me, I'm not going to pretend like I have a good answer here, but for me, it's, it's, I, I simplify it. I just go to, um, pole shooting. Like if I'm struggling, I'm not trying to do anything fancy. I'm not going to try and cut or roll. I'm going back to the basics. I'm going to run bags and I'm going to shoot airmail and that's it. And then once I can get my line down and my airmail is on point, that means I'm, I'm, I'm hitting my target or my landing point. Then I'll start to add back in a cut or a roll, but I will, I will basically bring it back to the basic to two shots before I expand back out. Awesome. Couldn't even hit one shot. (laughs) (laughs) It was rough. So if you can't hit the board, there's no cure to that. (laughs) It disappeared. It was like a week, week and a half gone. Could not hit anything. And and I wasn't trying to flop roll. I wasn't even trying to airmail. It's like, I'm just trying to slide down the middle of the board, (laughs) left, right, short, left. I'm like, Yes. What is going on? And I couldn't figure it out. And it's, it's actually taken a little break that helped. I had a super busy week of work and hardly thought about cornhole. Couldn't play, came back to it. And I threw last night and I threw great. And there's no reason. It's just maybe that break was what I needed. Yeah. And for people listening out there, it, ha- that happens at every level. It's oh, yeah. the weirdest thing. You can go from, you know, a heater to like, what well, I don't even know how to fix it. So it can happen in don't, the same don't. game like back-to-back yes. rounds like you like four bag and then the next round you miss one off the right like three feet right you're like what the heck was that <laughs> like how is that that wasn't even close like, that yeah. you, oh, man. don't don't panic don't panic it will come back it will it'll come, come back, back. <laughs> well uh is there any shout outs you want to do man anybody uh help you get where you are today or that you want to you want to put on put on blast in a good way yeah yeah <laughs> definitely people that help me get way. here yeah um yeah, definitely like to give a shout out to Mile High Cornhole. We talked about them earlier. Th- those are really the people that got me going. Uh, Corn Tricks Cornhole has been uh, huge for me and keeping me up with the right equipment and, uh, you know, keeping me on my game there. Really a shout out to the pros. I mean, so during this transaction, I've had a ton of support from my fellow pros, you know, previously my fellow pros and peers when I was a pro transitioning into this. I mean, just a lot of support from those guys. I mean, I remember Matt guy coming up to me on my first NBC broadcast. I'm in the middle of the broadcast and I'm talking probably the only guy that could get away with that. Matt guy's tapping me on my shoulder and I'm already freaking out. And I turn around and, you know, I'm, I'm on the air and um, he just shook my hand. And I thought that was really cool for, you know, <laughs> for him just to say, Hey man, uh, good luck. You know, um, Jay Rubin, Noah Wooten, Eric Anderson, Davis, Tony Smith, Jimmy humans, Jamie Graham, all these guys, not only have they kind of supported my transition, but they're really good about bouncing cornhole things off of each other. So a lot of the stuff that I drop on, you know, live broadcasts or feeds or recordings are information that we've talked about. I'm not just making things up here. So I'd love to send a shout out to those guys. Um, Trey Ryder, man. I mean, this guy, obviously uh, the, the goat of commentary for sure. I mean, he'll be a legend uh, in this and he has been awesome to really work with. He's opened every possible door of opportunities for me he continues to be uh someone great to work with and a good friend so um definitely a shout out to to, to trey Ryder on that one so and uh, you know i got to give a shout out to my we talked about him at the nuggets game bob bronson uh, none of this would have happened i wouldn't be here today if he wasn't like you know we're going pro right all right uncle all right uncle we're going pro it's crazy. It's crazy how those things work out, though. You know, it's just uh, my my. St- I mean, dude, my my uh, wife's cousins brought some game changers to camping last summer, and then me being obsessed with stuff, I was like, oh man, I I got to do some research into this. And now six months later, here we are. So it's just 
So it's amazing how these little things just happen and all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you find, you find something. Yeah. So, no doubt. well, really appreciate you joining us, man. I hope to see more yeah, cornhole man. science content in the future. I, once you have time to edit, I know that's, trust me from <laughs> Inra, I can relate. I totally get. So if anybody uh, doesn't see you. content from any of us for a little bit, it's editing, all right? That's, it's not the filming, uh, but no but, doubt. Uh, Hope to see you more in the commentary. Obviously, uh, see you more in the streams, maybe a little bit on the ESPN side. And then and then everyone tune in to the Around the uh, ACL podcast uh, on the digital network and then wherever you can find podcasts. Awesome, awesome thing if you want to learn a little bit more about the ACL and pro players. But really appreciate you joining us, man. Everybody listening, hope you guys have a great rest of your day and rest of your week, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks, guys.